Hi, everybody. This is Stuart Gandalf. I'm here with another podcast. Today, I am interviewing another friend of mine, Jay Gear. Uh, Jay is with Miller Gear and Associates, and Jay is a public relations expert and specializes in healthcare. First of all, welcome, Jay. Thank you, Stuart. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you. We've talked about this forever, and we finally got around to it. Before we get started, we're going to talk about crisis management in depth today. But um, just to give our listeners a context about your background, give us a sense of you know your firm, what you do, the kinds of work you do, just to help our listeners know you know what perspective you have. Well, our firm has been around since 1979, um, which is a long time ago. Uh, I and it was started by a woman named Nan Miller, who uh, was a uh, the first woman to open her uh, public relations firm in Los Angeles, um, and I joined her as an intern out of college and. Uh, Nine years later, I bought the firm from her, and uh, we've been specializing in healthcare uh, media relations and public relations for approximately 25 years. Apparently, about half of your work is ongoing clients and half is crisis management, but are you promoting brands? Or are you doing good, feel-good stuff? What kinds of day-to-day things do you do? Healthcare systems have particular needs. And so, you know, in times like this during the pandemic, they want to get a positive message out. And they, you know, a lot of health systems are putting resources behind education and information, um, as well as using uh, maybe unique case stories or patient stories to humanize the pandemic. Uh, you know, p- you know, patient that was in the hospital for 90 days, uh, was in a coma for 45 days and is being released, and there's a celebration or a CEO that of a hospital system that gets coronavirus. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of issues that hospitals are facing now as we've as we struggle to to move past this and i think that hospital systems have for the you know for a long time now four months five months have been the focus of a lot of news uh from the general media the news that they probably have don't have a whole lot of experience in managing very good and so we were talking also about the volume of stories you have i guess the the um the good news is the media is ready and hungry for healthcare content, correct? Yeah, there's really an endless supply. I mean, we have certain hospital systems that say, enough, I don't want to talk about COVID anymore. I want to get back to business normal because our ER volume is way reduced and the heart attacks are not coming in and the strokes and the, the regular, you know, day-to-day clinical services that you need to provide to the community. So some people, you know, are, 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 are leveraging the COVID because, you know, they become a hotspot or they become kind of an epicenter of care where their ICUs are just packed. I mean, this is really straining uh, the healthcare system in terms of people and resources. So, you know, they want to make sure that, that they are, uh, you know, showcasing the best uh, of what they are. And I mean, the inspirational stories from people that work on the front lines of healthcare today are just absolutely heartbreaking. And so we want to basically share those with the public um, as both and a brand statement as well as a educational and, and uplifting message. Well, it's interesting you brought that up about the safety and the, the fact that elective surgeries are down, people are avoiding care. So we'll get into the crisis stuff in a minute, but since that's so timely, so what are the, some of the opportunities you see there to get that message out about safety? And are well, these, I think it's very important. Cover things like that too. 
I think everybody is in the same boat. So they're, they're seeing surgical volume perhaps wane because uh, of the number of elective surgeries or uh, other surgeries that have been put off. People are fearful of going into that environment. But, you know, I mean, as a consumer, I actually, you know, from what I know of talking with doctors every day, I would absolutely go into surgery today. I don't care if it was open heart surgery or having a hip replaced or a knee replaced or any, even a minor surgery. It's more careful today, safety-wise and infection control-wise, than probably any other time that I could think of. I mean, the precautions and protocols are in place to maintain safety and lower infection uh, risks are, I mean, they are going to great pains to make sure that safety is the number one uh, task. So it's funny, I had a dental cleaning this morning, (laughs) I thought... You know, it's like they, they are. They're really, really taking, even in something as mundane as that, because, you know, that isn't time sensitive, really. But, um, you know, I talked to my dentist before, and they've, you know, taken the precautions. And obviously, if you're talking about real surgery, and in fact, my wife went through a procedure a couple of weeks ago, and it was the same kind of thing. She felt really comfortable. They did a good job with her, which is obviously important today. That's right. So I mean, everybody, everybody is masked. There's a lot of infection control, autoclaving everything and making sure, that, you know, I mean, realistically, oral health, 64% of oral health providers basically have seen, you know, tremendous cancellations. And, you know, that's just crazy. Uh, but, you know, that's what fear does to people. And so you need to educate. And you need to show, uh, you know, the difference between uh, what safety is and safety is not. So let's talk about the topic du jour. Um, you know, I've been fascinated by your work over the years. We've talked about, you know, we always want to talk about the good stuff, fun stuff, the, you know, build the business stuff, um, just sort of by nature. And then there's the real world, especially in hospitals as providers where there's lots of risk every day. There's always the potential of something going wrong. And we talked offline over the years about some of the mega, mega horrible things you've had to help people solve you know you're like the the expert that comes in and solves these terrible crisis problems the millions of dollars of marketing to build the brands of these but even more importantly the trust of um you know a hospital is even much bigger than just the marketing dollars it's you know it's in, in healthcare and i'd love to get your input on this jay to me, it's, you know, the marketing is great, but it's about the product. It's always about the product. In almost every marketing endeavor, it's about the product. You can have the best ads in the world, but if you're, you know, having accidents or killing people, it's not going to be very effective for you. Correct. You know, it, 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 it really, and it does, it, it does, crises don't, don't discriminate. You know, they don't just pick on hospitals with a certain set of quality versus the big systems with, you know, international reputations. Crises are self-selecting. It's almost like a, 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 a it's almost like a, a virus. It, 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 it can affect anybody in, given the right circumstances, and it can do a lot of damage uh, to a brand that you've spent years uh, building up trust with your constituents. It's it's it is a nightmare scenario, and I you know we've talked about some other ones in the past, but tell us about the kinds of things you're seeing today, whether it's COVID related or employee related, to help us understand the things to be aware of. Well, I think that that, that that some of the top crises today, or the risk of crisis, where we're seeing a lot of uh, come from social media. So uh, a, a brand that's exposed to, uh, you know, an employee that's posting something that's uh, controversial or racist or 
you know, conspiracy theory laden. Uh, they post something like that, and it it can go it can go viral and put the hospital and its leadership right on their heels very quickly. Um, we're also seeing issues re- re- regarding um, on the clinic- clinical side. So, you know, patients that, that are having problems or maybe are getting turned away from a hospital or their test is taking too long and they ended up, you know, getting a diagnosis way later and they infected a lot of people. So every single aspect of the healthcare system comes into question when, uh, when they're basically being asked to do so much for so many. Absolutely. And, you know, we've worked together to help a, a skilled nursing chain that have had some real problems that are obvious for COVID as well. So you've got safety issues and how do you treat people issues. Social media is crazy. How do um, you mentioned even administration, things like, um, you know, less maybe timely, but strikes and employee relations problems too, correct? Absolutely. Um, you know, organized labor is uh, is always active in a hospital. And uh, some hospitals have great relationships with their, with their labor partners. Um, it, 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 and others have cont- contentious uh, relationships. And so, you know, sometimes uh, nurses and their unions or other staff members in their unions can use a, a, a pandemic-like uh, a media environment to basically say, listen, we're not be, we're gonna, we're not getting enough PPE equipment, or our lives of our nurses are at stake, and we're being asked to do too much, um, and so they have a voice because the radar screen on anything COVID is so large that they get traction, and so then they press it, and then it creates you know not just a, a one story. Uh, uh, on one day, but it can take it, it, it can actually create a series of stories and put the hospital on its heels quickly. Wow. So there's another thing we talked about, which is, uh, and I still remember this. Uh, an attorney I was talking to a couple of years ago was saying, you know, it's one of these PR guys. Their motto is to be as transparent with the public as possible. And from a legal point of view, that may be good from a marketing point of view, but from a legal point of view, I don't want them to say anything. <laughs> I, you know, so. How do you balance that? Because legal is a big issue in your world. And how do you get the right blend of transparency without, you know, somehow inadvertently implicating your client? Is that even an issue you have to think about? Or do, how does that actually work in the real world? Uh, it, it, it works. It works all the time. Let's say it's a it's an issue all the time. Hospitals have lawyers and outside lawyers, and they also have risk risk department, risk management departments. Um that monitor for or for uh, you know crisis situations or try to get in front of them and solve things so that they come uh, they're they're resolved on campus so to speak without anybody ever you know really making a, a lot of noise about it um, that's what risk does and risk does a great job for the most part but it's ironic that you know you're in a business of what we would call the caring industry healthcare uh, it's part of our name um, but yet you know, to express empathy or sympathy or express emotion or frustration um, uh, to the to the general public or to the media from a hospital, um, which is a very uh, you know typical response to crisis situations, is very hard to do when there's lawyers saying no, that might improve their position or it's it, it connotes culpability to express emotion. Um, so it's sometimes all we deal with are the legal ramifications when it comes to dealing with a with media. Um, 
you know, sometimes these happen two or three days into a story uh, where the lawyers will just, you know, basically say this will go away. And uh, uh, the next day it escalates. The next day it escalates because there's new cases or there's new situations that add to the story. And so when it doesn't go away for three or four days and you've got a board of directors of your facility that is saying, why are we being attacked so hard for so many days? Um, you know, sometimes the lawyers will say, okay, we can express a little bit here because what this is really a, a tactic that you need to do to manage the response uh, from an institution is to basically be transparent. Uh, you know, if you're a public hospital or a nonprofit hospital, the state has data on you, the government has data on you. So there's always access to a lot of data that you may not know that they know. And so you have to assume that as a public institution, they have a lot of information at their at their behest. And there are also the things that, that happen that hospitals can't believe it, but they have inside sources that leak information. Um, and that's always a risk that you have. And sometimes it starts the crisis is you have a whistleblower that wow. says, you know, uh, they did this to a patient or they did this to many patients or this was a, a, a pattern of, of uh, a, a, a pattern in a hospital for a long time. Sometimes those come from, you know, actual nurses and doctors within the hospital. Obviously disturbing to have the problem at all and then to have it uh, come from within. So clearly yes. it's a high stress uh, business. How do you respond quickly? You know, like right now, COVID, I'm assuming you're, you're, you're one of the busiest people I know anyway, Jay. <laughs> So are you even twice as busy now with COVID and all the things that are going on? Like, how do you keep up with these things? And, um, you know, somebody new calls and you have a crisis. How do you even deal with these things? Do you have a roadmap or how do you do it? Well, experience gives you a lot of uh, things that you've you've gone down that road before and you don't do, want to do that again. Uh, so you've seen a bad, you've seen outcomes in different ways. So experience in, in dealing with a lot of crisis gives you a, a, a hopefully a feeling of how this is going to play out. Um, if you've been through enough, you know, I probably have managed oh, two or three or four or 500 big crises in hospitals and health systems. And after a while, you see, the, you know, an arc of how these things resolve. And what you try to do is basically, you know, accelerate the process of going from exposure or, you know, the story that's out there to management and get it over with. And so the good news is, is that in the COVID news cycle, nothing lasts forever. Um, a story today is not a story tomorrow. So you're hoping that the news cycle sweeps it away and, 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 and brushes it under the rug, or at least gets onto another story. Um, basically, you want to get it out of the news cycle so that it doesn't get days of momentum that keep the story alive. That actually leads me to the next question then. What are, you know, we've talked about some of the kinds of cases you see, and you've seen some doozies, right? Um, Absolutely. Some, yeah. Well, you know, it used to be just all clinical. You know, you operate on the wrong knee, or you took out the wrong kidney, or, live, you know, you, you, you botched something, or there was a mistake in the OR, or uh, a patient caught on fire in the OR, or, you know, a, a clinical issue. But today, they're broad. Most crises are have you know know where they come from they could come from personnel they can come from human resources uh they can come from a patient that's 
that you never saw coming um, that has a, you know a lot of momentum and a lot of social media following so you've got a you know not only just mainstream media but you also have social media that mainstream media follow so your exposure in terms of the the number of risks that you face is actually you know a lot a lot greater and then in a COVID world anything that's COVID related that has some traction to it um whether it, so it's just not numbers every day it's actually you know they're getting into people stories um you got to make sure that you're in front of that so um do you find that the stories that come up um i guess both for good and ill tend to follow the national news cycle like if they're talking about numbers of tests that's what they want to talk about locally with the hospital or they're talking about numbers of deaths or whatever is there a strong correlation there well i think we've kind of we've we've gone gone through that process so it's not just numbers from a county or a state. I mean, that's still driving the news. But for, for hospitals, they're really looking for more uh, of the social issues, uh, the social ills or the social good news stuff. So they want to know, you know, what's it like being overwhelmed? What's it like when you've got burned out nurses and doctors? Um, you know, stories of hero- heroism. Um, which every hospital has today, and so if you're if you're a hospital system and you're not showcasing and getting out front some of the unique things that uh, that your staff is doing to help patients, um, you're letting a great opportunity go by because um, it's a great chance to build on goodwill and build your brand because uh, you're not going. This opportunity is you know is very rare where the epicenter is so great. Um, but it also means that you're at risk if there's a, if there's an error or if you're caught in a situation that you can't control. One of the things you just said earlier that reminded me, my hygienist today went into almost um, conspiracy theory land. Now, this is somebody who's educated, right? She's a dental hygienist. She had to go to college, and the stuff and the stuff she was saying. And at one point, I go, "That's just not true. In fact, that's a scary lie. What you just said, because I work with clinicians all the time, and you know this idea that." you know, the numbers are being inflated for politics or that this isn't really that bad. It's just, to me, scary. You know, you've got these doctors and hospitals, you know, taking risk every day, being heroes, and you've got people that just are, I don't know what they're hearing, but as though this is all a big joke. So how do you, I always think this is, in this, and this is your area, an opportunity for hospitals to build thought leadership too and to help you know, do public good by getting the message out. Do you have clients who do that? Because it just seems like such a need and there's so much confusion and so much lack of trust to have the hospitals take advantage of some of their authority in the marketplace. Well, yeah, you you want a trusted source. And, you know, clearly, you know, it's reached the era where, you know, this pandemic has become political. But that really, you know, doesn't reach the hospital level. I mean, you're just patient, you know, number one, you know, steward. Um, they're focused on you. They're not focused on politics. I have seen firsthand the dedication of so many caregivers um, day in, day out, 24 hours a day. They're so focused, so overworked dealing with all of the, the both clinical, social, and emotional needs that is coming when you've got a full ICU and you've got step-down units, and you've got you've got 50 people in your hospital that are positive uh, with COVID. Your focus is on managing and delivering great care to those patients. And the randomness 
of you know situations once patients come into the hospital and you see older people dying or you see younger people dying and struggling you know you get a rea- a dose of reality very quickly in one day you will disbelieve any conspiracy theory uh, that is out there um, when you see the the human lives uh, that are trying to manage this as well that's my point exactly. <laughs> it feels disrespectful to the doctors and the patients, very real and clear and present to them, that's for sure, from the people we both work with. Getting off that for a moment, so let's talk about, oddly, human brains seem to work well when we talk about not just what to go toward, but what to avoid. What are the mistakes? So I'd love to get a list of sort of the top mistakes that people make uh, when it relates to COVID or any other kind of crisis management. What are some of the things that you know, if you if our listeners walked away from the podcast today with nothing else, please don't do this. What are some of those things to avoid? Well, one would be to um, respond right away off the cuff without doing a full investigation or getting the full story. Sometimes hospitals get a call from a reporter that's asking about some, you know, XYZ patient. Um, you know, with the HIPAA today, you can't give a lot of information, but they respond nonetheless. Uh, or they say that's never happened before uh, here, or they make some kind of truncated statement uh, to the media to try to assuage that reporter's request. Uh, you know, and then that when the story starts exploding or becomes back again, that wait a minute, there's other patients that are coming forward, uh, giving this story life. Uh, that's when they start to panic. So, you know, it's best to kind of sit, take a step back and say, one, do we really have a crisis? In other words, is this information already out there? Uh, does it make us look really bad? And how do, you know what is our tactful response going to be? What are what what are, what what things do we need to do statewide uh, with regulators and federal regulators and getting you know CMS to come in and investigate our hospital uh, and examine or take a survey, whatever that might be? There are lots of steps that that, that are involved that. Typically, sometimes I would say the number one mistake hospitals make is they speak too soon. And they don't speak appropriately, or they think that if I go on camera as a CEO and say everything is okay, that the story will go away. I would say that's the number one mistake. I would say 1A, it's a close second, would be they underestimate the potential of a story. Uh, they think, ah, this is going to go away. Nobody will hear about this, or it's a situation that'll fly under the radar, or they don't think, you know, a reporter is going to uh, follow up on something. So they underplay a crisis, and they don't put the resources or the attention to it until it becomes already white hot. On the side of what to do, so if you're working with a client and they suddenly call you, uh, obviously we don't want to just go spew information that's, you know, half. Uh, informed. Uh, so we've got that. What are some of the things that you can do um, going forward to help, you know, kind of accelerate the news cycle, you know, be ethical, of course, which, you know, is part of this, but to, you know, not lose control of this entirely. What are some of the things that you that you pride yourself in your ability and the, some of the things you guide your clients toward? Well, I think, you know, there are certain hospitals are really built for crisis response because they crisis response daily uh, through their ER. So they're triaging trauma. I mean, these people are built 
to respond to uh, risky things. It's in their DNA. But as you go up to administration and you start, you know, talking to executives that run the hospital or board members or leadership of a hospital, you know, you're kind of removing yourself away to uh, risk management. So, you, you know, maybe you've got a department that handles that. And so you're really not that involved. So first step in a, in a, in a crisis is to get your A-team together, uh, your, your, your core leadership and say, what, uh, uh, you know, is this a crisis? Are we really at risk here? What are the, what is the potential of this thing? And, and, to, and to basically lay out a plan to say, okay, are we dealing with regulators appropriately? Are we dealing with the media appropriately? Are we dealing with our staff internally appropriately? Sometimes hospitals respond perfectly to a crisis on an external basis, but they yet they don't do it internally. You also need to make sure that you include your leadership, like board or external stakeholders, as well as your internal stakeholders. Uh, you make you got to make sure that they're informed. I I, I can't tell you how many times uh, I've been involved in a crisis and uh, a story comes out, let's say in the New York Times, uh, with a hospital, you know, with mentioning a hospital, and the, the 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 doctors and the nursing staff are marching toward administration, saying, "What are we going to do about this? This is a terrible story. This is the first time seeing of it. How come we didn't know about the, what was going on?" That happens all the time. So you got to make sure that all the audiences that you need to reach are identified and their and messages are created and crafted to appropriately deal with it on the internal side. So you have to think about it in terms of a management of all your constituency in terms of communication. Wow. It's a lot there. Um, any other final thoughts as we begin to uh, circle toward the end here about, you know, um, words of wisdom or how to deal with crisis or COVID opportunities or, you know, obstacles, anything else you think we should be talking about? Well, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a checklist that you should probably, you know, think about, you know, one is, you know, let's ask some questions and, 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 and do an internal investigation to make sure that our situation is, that we understand the situation completely. So that, you know, that may take a day or two sometimes. And so you need to, you know, and yet you've got reporters and you've got, you know, people doing tele live stand up television interviews in front of your hospital, um, that you're, of course, telling the, the, the security guards to kick off campus, um, which, you know, in, 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 you know, makes the, it makes the media very, very happy when, uh, when you're telling them to leave the campus. Now, of course, media can't be on campus unless you invite them, but they can be on the sidewalk. So you can't really do anything about that. So, you know, one is do your homework and make sure that you identify, okay, are we at risk? Two, let's set up a tactical response. And that means I would never encourage people to talk to the media, uh, both in person. Uh, I would only use statements that you write and share with the media. Today's, you know, we cannot change headlines in the, uh, the scope of a, of a crisis just by talking. We have to talk appropriately. We have to take steps that say we are investigating this. Uh, this is very upsetting to us. Uh, this is a terrible situation that we're trying to manage. Um, expressing empathy goes a long way for a hospital that's in the caring business. Um, I, I just can't, sometimes I scratch my heads when we get up into the rectories of hospital leadership and convincing them to express empathy. Empathy does not mean culpability. It doesn't mean that, you know, you did this wrong. It just means that you're expressing a human emotion. 
Um, and institutions can do that. And that's very effective for hospitals to do. That we care about our patients. You say it all the time in your ads, but when it comes to a crisis, you have to expressly uh, make sure that you're expressing that as well. You know, one thing that you said before we wrap up here that caught my ears was checklist. And Literally, last week, I was talking to my team about a book called Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book, but the idea of the book is, or the premise is, that he was asked to help improve surgery worldwide. And the previous efforts had these enormous 500, 600-page volumes that they're trying to ship off to Africa or wherever to please follow these instructions for your surgery. And of course, nobody read them. And what they ended up coming to was the idea of a checklist. And so... You know, in the military, I have a friend of mine whose helicopter went down and they just follow the checklist under stress. Or Sully in you know Long Island with the, the geese that got caught in the engines and the plane went down a few years ago. And it just comes back to these crisis moments. You don't have time to think. So can you, when you're working with your clients, let's say you take on a new retainer client, do you work with them on this kind of stuff to the extent that is possible in advance and create exactly. so that, that they don't have to do as much? Advanced planning is, I mean, hospitals are, are just great at developing f- efficient protocols that are just solid. Uh, it, it, and they, they, they do these for the clinical care, for the every aspect of the hospital. And, and you can do the same for a crisis. Actually run a drill. You know, let's just let let's let's just say that you've got a bad crisis. You you know you operated on the one of your orthopedic surgeons operated on the wrong knee today, even though you did you know all the fail safe mechanisms. He, human error caused a problem, and and you've got a high profile patient. Well, you know, get your checklist out and say, okay, let's investigate, let's formulate our response. Um, Let's put these other checklists in play uh, in terms of security and, and, and HIPAA. Uh, I mean, you're confined to what you can say. And so, you know, there's a lot of things to go through. And a checklist is perfect. And then not only to take that checklist, but to then run an exercise with it. And, and it's, it, it will, boy, hospitals that do that are so well oiled when it comes to a crisis that they don't even, you know, flinch when they have a problem. They just know here's what they're going to do. Um, and so they have a response and that response is, is comes from confidence rather than fear. And so I think that there's a whole mindset that develops when you're prepared for any crisis from an administrative or branding or marketing standpoint of protecting your brand. That's fantastic. I can just imagine a human emotion you can uh, get away from you if you're not prepared for this and you you don't have a checklist, you don't have a J, you're just sort of trying to figure this out on your own and it thinks they want answers now and you don't even have a plan. That must be exceedingly stressful. <laughs> Um, and I can see well, where because you think you, you, you think you're under you're under assault, and you need to formulate a response immediately to get, to get all these people off your back. And re, once you realize that, wait a minute, we communicate our, on our timeline. Just because a reporter wants to talk before five about a story that they're doing on our hospital doesn't mean that we have to respond before five. We can use some tactics to manage this thing appropriately under our control. And so, you know, a lot of times when they feel that pressure from the media to do things urgently, now, you know, you can, there's things you can do urgently. You could just craft a statement that says, we are very concerned about this. We are launching a full-fledged investigation. And that's all we can say at this point. 
I mean, there are ways to deal with the media that don't have to say a whole lot. All you have to prove is that you are aware of it and you are taking action. Action is probably the most key word in all crisis response protocols. Wait a minute. This is your timeline. This isn't my timeline. <laughs> That's right. Why am I jumping through hoops for you and, and risking our reputation without thinking, having a chance to think this through? That's correct. So that totally makes sense. Um, we're a marketing company, and when it comes to PR, um, I reach out um, almost always to my friend Jay here. And so, Jay, um, what's your contact info in case any of our listeners slash readers are interested in either broad PR support or crisis management more specifically, how would they begin a relationship with you or an exploratory call? They could go to our website, www.millergear.com, or they can email me at j at millergear.com, or they could call my cell at 562-883-0375, 562-883-0375. I work 24-7. We hate to have to come to you when we have a crisis client. It doesn't happen very often in our world, but I'm glad that you're on our team and we need you. So thank you for your help uh, for, you know, not just this call, but for helping us occasionally as well with our clients. So, Oh, we you're very it. welcome, Stuart. And I think your team is very experienced and very well-versed in both traditional marketing as well as this new age thinking of getting people to respond and, yeah. uh, and to grow business. Okay. Because I think every hospital in the country right now is saying, man, okay, enough of COVID. We want to we get back to you know, taking care of our whole community. And I hope that people um, don't avoid the doctor or the dentist just out of fear. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Stuart.